you can have the most perfect website copy, but if you don't have the confidence, if you don't believe you can receive the money, if you're self-sabotaging and you don't even know it, if there are fears of visibility online, all of these types of sneaky things that, you know, come up if you're not doing the mindset work. I was like, I just, I saw that I really needed to introduce that. And I really wanted to be focused more on that side of the work. And so that's what I started focusing on in my coaching business. It's your host, Senya. Welcome back to Chasing Artists, where we get to chat with artists and creatives from all walks of life, hearing their journeys of what got them where they are today. I'm so excited for you to be joining me wherever you are listening. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week to Chasing Artists. Today, we're chatting with creative business coach, Sarah Mack, about creative entrepreneurship, burnout, and money mindset for creatives. Sarah Mack is a creative business coach who supports creative entrepreneurs to hit five-figure months in fun ways in their dream business. She helps her clients to share their unique gifts through powerful storytelling that magnetizes dream clients to their offers with ease. Originally from the UK, Sarah is now based in New York and is also a songwriter and performer. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Zanya. Thank you so much for having me. So I like to start each episode with just how my guests and I have met. And I'm so curious to know how you even found me. That's a good question. It was actually my assistant that found you <laughs> because nice. I recently decided that podcasting, podcasting is something that I was very intuitively drawn to. And then when I started running my own pod- podcast, I was like, oh, this is so much fun. And then I had the idea that me speaking on other people's podcasts is also something that I really enjoy and is just a strategy that I wanted to really lean into in promoting my work and so yeah I set my my assistant the challenge of finding other really amazing awesome podcasters who I would love to talk to and she's done a really good job so far at finding amazing people so I'm very grateful that we connected that's awesome yeah I'm I'm so excited to talk with you today so I want to start with how you got started working in the film industry and what led to your burnout. So my background when I was a kid was in dance and theater and musical theater. And then I was doing a bachelor's, like my undergrad in drama. And I took a film class and I kind of fell in love with film. And so I switched to what you guys in America call a double major and Then when I graduated, I was looking for work in TV and film. I volunteered at a film festival. No, it was a music festival. It was an arts festival in Manchester. I think it was called the International Manchester Festival. And it was amazing, amazing, amazing. And I met a producer there who... um, she was the one oh yeah this is a good story this is a good story so i was still living in manchester after i graduated i was doing um theater production with a group of friends and they lived in this big old colorful like kind of grimy student manchester house and the bbc which is like one of the main networks in the uk knocked on their door and were like can we use your house as a film set and i was looking for work in tv at the time and and that one of them dropped it into conversation 
with me when I bumped into them. I was like, I can't believe you didn't tell me this. I was like, I'm coming <laughs> to your house when they're filming. I rocked up. And then, oh, I think they swung it for me because they were going to be extras. They were like, you can use our film if we can be extras in the show. And I was like, make me be an extra. And so they were like, okay, cool. You can come and be an extra. So I dressed up and there was like a party scene and I got to be in the show. And then I took my resume into the trailer to where the assistant directors were and I handed it in. I was like, I'm looking for a job in, in TV. And she, yeah, she, and, and it was her. So there was that connection. I'd worked with her before she recognized me. And so she passed my CV on to the first AD and then they hired me as a runner. And that was really, you know, that was my in. And then from there I kept on getting hired and I worked on some films. Um, and then I moved out to Vancouver because I wanted to, just travel and see the world. And I knew that there was a big film industry out there. So I got a one year visa, bought a one way ticket and went and hustled to go and get a job in, in the film industry over there. And I did, and it was amazing. And I did that for eight years. Um, and at the same time, so I would work in the summer in Vancouver for the film season. And then I would fly to Montreal and study in the winter because I did, I was doing a master's in film which I applied for basically just as an excuse to stay in Canada and get another visa. But I got, I got funded and everything just kind of lined up for me. And Montreal is like, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store in Montreal. It's like <laughs> all of my favorite things. So many amazing arts festivals, so like much freedom, just so many fun things. And yeah, it all kind of contributed <clears throat> to me. <coughs> Excuse me. I was, yeah, I was very busy doing a lot of the things that I really loved. And my body just was like, no, you need to sleep more. You, there's some healing work that needs to be done. And so I knew that I just wasn't capable of, um, you know, doing like the 18 hour days on sets day after day after day, lots and lots of driving, lots and lots of like heavy lifting, driving trucks, all of this type of stuff. So that was the thing that prompted me to switch into entrepreneurship. What's, what was like your role? So you were, you were originally a runner. Did you move up or anything? Yeah. So in the UK, you start off as a runner and then that's in the assistant, uh, assistant directing department. So I started to move up and did a little bit of third ADing. And then I moved over to Canada. And when you're in Canada, you start off similar to the US as like a PA in the locations department. So then I went into locations department as a PA. And then I, I worked, I got a job for a small film company and I was doing more just like everything because it was a small company so I did a little bit of coordinating a little bit of producing and then I moved into production on some of the bigger like film sets and commercial sets so I was like a production PA then I moved into art department and I was on art department assistant and that was all of the like driving trucks moving furniture heavy lifting so yeah I had a lot of fun kind of exploring all of the different departments and but none of them when I was in them I was I really looking at the heads of departments being like that's where I want to go and I think that's when when I realized that I just that's not what I wanted to be um sticking with as my long-term career and also in Montreal I was studying experimental cinema which is just my favorite and playing around making some dance videos and I just much preferred 
being able to express myself creatively versus working on these like it's like being in the army being on these big film film crews it's fun and you know I got to see some amazing locations but it's not really very creative for you know quite a lot of the time in whatever department you're working in yeah I feel that for a number of years I worked as a theater production uh like tech and it's it's the same like I loved it and it was amazing but it's not very creative yeah did you realize that you were experiencing burnout or did it like did it take a little while and then and then you made a shift so the way it showed up for me was because obviously doing a master's it's quite a high intensity course load so initially I thought I had ADHD because I was struggling to focus and obviously I was you know they give you so much work and you have to do 50 page papers and it's a lot of reading and a lot of writing so it does require a lot of kind of like high intensity focus so that was like the first kind of warning signs it turned out I was just tired (laughs) I didn't have ADHD the reason I couldn't focus was because I needed to have a break and and then that turned into sort of getting 6 p.m headaches and I literally just felt so shitty that I couldn't do any of the things that I really enjoyed I couldn't go out socializing I like couldn't really hang out with anyone in the evening I just didn't have the energy to do a lot of like the projects that I was working on. So I really just started having to scale back. And then I had some, some health flare ups, um, some kind of a lot of mysterious like symptoms and pains. And that was what prompted me to delay my masters for an extra year and do half of a course load. And, um, yeah, and then it was just kind of like a long and complicated journey of asking questions and doing everything that I could to feel better in all of the areas available to me. Yeah, definitely. What was so when you were doing 18 hour days on set, how did you balance that with um, like working in a master's program? Well, it was like in the summer, I was not doing any studying and I was just working in film. So it was like, and obviously my goal was to save up enough money in the summer so that I didn't have to work in the winter. Um, and I could just focus on my, on my studies. And so I was like taking all the jobs and, you know, which is quite normal behavior for people who work in film. Um, but it's not normal behavior human bodies that want to stay in balance so I mean I think that you you definitely can navigate it more intelligently than I did and you know take more breaks in between gigs and not say yes to everything um because I was definitely putting myself under pressure to earn as much money as I could but so you know but sometimes the jobs are just like six day weeks and it is really long and it is lots of driving and and so that's just kind of the nature of the work a lot of the time yeah I feel like too, probably a lot of people go about it the way that you did as well. And that's why there's like, we're exhausted. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like that's the thing about bodies is this is what we're living in for our entire life. And a lot of the time we don't see the effects of our choices until down the line, you know? And, you know, for me, it was much more than that. It was a lot of like emotional healing work that I needed to do so it was kind of like an emotional healing crisis where my body was like you're not listening and you've kind of numbed out and there's some stuff that you need to process that you need to give yourself the time to process that I just didn't 
know or have the tools or su support to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, it was a combination of, of many, many different things. So I think ultimately the lesson is you have to we have to listen to our bodies. We have to give them what they need. We have to take care of them. We can't just, you know, you can like you can't go into health debt because it will catch up with you at some point. Yeah, 100 percent. So can you walk us through your transition into entrepreneurship and specifically creative entrepreneurship? Yeah, this is another good story. So I um, I knew I wanted to do online business because I simply and purely because I loved the idea of being location independent because I've always loved to travel. And obviously by this point in my life, I had people that I loved scattered across the globe because I'd already been moving around quite a bit. And so that was my my pure and only initial intention. And then when a friend of mine invited me out to work on her business, she was in Bali in Indonesia and she had an online business and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So I put all of my stuff in storage, bought a one-way ticket, convinced my partner to come out with me for a bit. This was just after we'd graduated. And then when we got to Bali, we were working there and I was helping her just with, you know, a lot of general stuff, like some stuff for their YouTube channel, social media, website copy. And she was like, oh, you're really good at the website copy. And then I met another couple of writers when I was out there who were kind of living the dream, like the digital nomad dream. And I literally never thought about myself as a writer up until that moment. But I spoke to another writer and I was like, huh, I guess I am a writer. Like I've been writing extensively my entire life. Like I just finished a master's where I'd been writing papers and, you know, I'd kept journals ever since I was young. And that's just a part of my identity that I never really kind of recognized before. And I was like, oh, yeah, like this is a skill that, you know, can translate to work and helping people because everybody needs to represent themselves online right now and a lot of people you know don't have the skill of writing so I basically taught myself the art of copywriting I took a course and just started taking clients here and there on um, a freelance website and really just started building my portfolio and that was my uh, introduction to online marketing and then I started attracting a lot of coaches and I discovered the coaching industry for the first time and you know, my clients who were coaches would send me links of people that they really aspired to. And I would discover all of these amazing coaches having these incredible lives and businesses and, you know, making a massive impact in their work. And I ended up in a in a coaching program just to help me build my my copy um, business. And so I launched my own copy business, you know, really like mastered the art of being able to market myself and my services and really choose who I wanted to be working with, how much I wanted to be charging and started working a lot less, started working a lot more, started doing a lot of money mindset work around, you know, just not like actually believing that I could earn more money doing things that I really enjoyed. And I doubled my income. Um, I doubled my income two, three years in a row in the end. And the, the final thing was led to me launching my coaching business because I'd been writing uh, website copy for women entrepreneurs. And I was like, you can have the most perfect website copy, but if you don't have the confidence, if you don't believe you can receive the money, if you're self-sabotaging and you don't even know it, if there are fears of visibility online, all of these types of sneaky things that, you know, come up if you're not doing the mindset work. I was like, I just, 
I saw that I really needed to introduce that and I really wanted to be focused more on that side of the work. And so that's what I started focusing on in my coaching business. And that's when I hit my first six figure year and really just started doing more scalable courses and programs and offers that allowed me a lot more freedom because I wanted to take back my kind of writing juice that I was using to write copy for other entrepreneurs. I wanted to save that for myself. And that really gave me the time, space and energy to start focusing more on songwriting and music production and, and also building up my own business and, and brand. So it's been, yeah, one thing, it was like one of those things of just following the breadcrumbs and keep following my curiosity and exploring and, you know, seeing what other people out there were doing and, and just really making those shifts so that I was having more and more fun, aligning more and more with the things that I really cared the most about and was most excited by. And yeah, like building it out just one, one day at a time, one month at a time, pretty much. Yeah. How did you you know, maintain that momentum? Were there points where you were like, I need to give up? People ask me this question a lot and it's kind of, I know, like there's never been a moment where I wanted to give up. And I think that's because when I started, like I had no other, there's nothing else that like seems like a better possibility to me. I think if I found something else that was, I was like, oh, this looks way more fun, then I would do that. But there's, there's been nothing that I know of that has the potential to give me the most freedom, the most earning potential, the most flexibility and the most, yeah, just the most freedom to like always focus on the things that I enjoy the most. And that's the cool thing about entrepreneurship is like you get to make the rules and you get to change the rules whenever you like, you know, and there's always so much growth. There's always so much to learn. And if you don't like the way something's going, like you're the boss, so you can change that. So I honestly don't see myself ever doing anything else. And I don't know, I guess I like the, I like that. I love to always be learning. I love to always be growing. And I think honestly, the most important thing for me as to why I've, I've grown con consistently and to why it's been consistently fun for me is I've always had really good support. Like I've always had really great mentors and that's what makes it easy and that's what makes it fun. And that's what helps you to really avoid just feeling like you're in a hard place. And I've been through challenges, obviously in my personal life along this journey, but my business has always been something that excites me every day when I wake up, I'm excited to do the work and, um, and you know, and, and, it, and I've found a place where I, have, have got that balance where I don't need to work that much, which is, I think if you don't need to work that much, it's so much easier to enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. I always used to think about that about film. I was like, this would be a dream job if it was like nine to five. But the fact that it's, <laughs> I have to get up at 6am definitely makes this less of a dream job. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Oh my gosh. All of that. And just like doing something you love, like it's always like people say, when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Totally. It's so true. It's just up to us to find out what that is, you know? And sometimes we don't know the big picture. So it's like, as long as every day you just keep asking, what would be fun today? Or out of the options that I have available to me right now, which one is the most fun? And you keep making that as the, the way that you make your decisions, your life just will get more and more fun. Yeah. 
So when you were traveling, did you set the destinations or did you kind of like go where something was calling you towards or both? That's a good question. Um, I kind of identify with the bumblebee <laughs> because I do feel like I kind of just blow on the wind. Yes. And like I'm like being sent places to like pick up some ideas from one place and then like pollinate them over in another place. Um, yeah, I'm not that intentional. I mean, yeah, it, it, I'm very intuitive. <clears throat> I make decisions very intuitively. And sometimes it's the call. Um, you know, like my friend was like, come to Bali. And then when I was in Bali, everyone was just, okay, this is funny, actually. I'm only realizing this now. <laughs> Whenever I travel, people in the place that I travel always tell me to go to the next destination. Like I was on exchange in my undergrad in Toronto. And when I was there, everyone there was like, you have to go to Vancouver. It's got mountains. It's a, there's a film industry. It's amazing. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So when I came out to Canada the second time, I went to Vancouver. Then when I was in Vancouver, everyone there was like, oh, you'll love Montreal. Like Montreal <laughs> is like, so your type of city, you have to go there. So then I applied to my master's in Montreal. And it's kind of been like that. Like when I was in Bali, everyone was like, oh, you need to go to India. To Rishikesh, it's like even cheaper than Bali. And literally, I didn't want to go to India because I was not in good health. And I've just, you know, I hear that India is a very challenging place to travel, which it is. I got a lot of stomach infections when I was there. And I didn't really want to go there. But it just like, you know, I was beginning my writing entrepreneurship adventure and I was living off credit cards and I was really burnt out. So I was like, well, if I can spend 50% less on my accommodation in India, like I'll do that because then I'll, I'll give, it'll give me a little bit more of a runway to like build an income up so I can afford to go back to the West again. So it, it really has been um, just driven by momentary options that came up to me that seemed better. And then obviously my husband has been in medical school in the US for the past, like, well, he's now in his two years into his residency. So you know, six or seven years. And so I've been just coming back and forth um, from New York because of him. So yeah, and then in between, uh, there's been a lot of border dashing as I've been navigating, immigrating to both Canada and the US. And so whenever it was time to take a trip, it was always just kind of like, well, where do I want to go next? And I would just go down to like Mexico or my friend got married in Central America. So yeah, I really just blow on the wind and go to places that generally are warm, have a beach, that I can afford to live in. That's pretty much my criteria. I love that. I have such like a travel bug and I haven't been able to do it or like act on it yet. But it, yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I went to, I was in, I was in 15 different countries in five years, you know, wow. like living for like longer stints in some places, some of them shorter stints, but you know, when you can work from your laptop, you have that, that privilege and that luxury to be wherever wherever I want to be, whenever I want to be there, which is pretty amazing slash also hectic at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. What was it like to be long distance with your husband? So when we got together, we he was my roommate. Like he answered my ad on Craigslist for a roommate. He moved in, we fell in love and we in the beginning were like, oh, we'll never do long distance because it just seems like it's not worth it. You know, it's like so much heartache and so much work and so much stress. Like it just never really seems worth it to do a long distance relationship. And then we went into what has been pretty much a seven year international long distance relationship. And it, it was just one of those things where we've just always, it's always been a yes. Like we've always wanted to be together. 
more than we've wanted to avoid the hassle of being together. And so, um, yeah, like it's, it was, it's definitely, there's been hard moments, but one thing I think that we've realized is that the only thing, the only time really anything is hard is because we're in a story about it being hard in our head. And, you know, obviously, yeah, like we miss each other when we're away for long periods of time. But I mean, I can, I can only speak for myself because he's kind of going through hell in his residency at the moment. So his life isn't really that fun. But for me, like I always get to take responsibility for my life being fun, regardless as to whether or not he's there. And I think going through the process of being long distance and obviously, you know, going through the stress of like the heartache and like saying goodbye to each other and not knowing necessarily when we're going to see each other, but just going through that for such a long time has kind of led me number one to get so bored of being stressed and upset about it that I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give that up and like enjoy my life and to just trust that, you know, when we're together, it's amazing. And it, and it always is. And we're, when we're apart, we both just get to focus on ourselves for a little bit. And that's really amazing in its own way as well, you know, and to really just be in a bit of a more positive headspace about it and to really grow from it. Um, because it definitely has make, made us stronger, you know, having to navigate those challenges. And, um, and I think because he is um, he emigrated to Canada when he was 17 with his entire family from Iran. So he's been through that, you know, like his parents have been living in a different country from him since he was 17, like on and off. And, and I feel like, it's just something that a lot of immigrants go through, you know, and yeah, it can be really hard, but also we're so resilient and you just kind of like get used to it. And as long as you're always choosing the thing that feels like the thing that you really want, then you just take what you can get until you figure it out, basically. So <laughs> that's that my take sounds, on it. yeah, that sounds like a really healthy attitude and mindset towards relationships, too. Yeah. And I think you know, it, it, we made it fun to be a part too. Like we send each other really fun messages and, you know, like it's fun to miss the person that you love sometimes because it's really romantic. And if you turn it into something that's romantic and, you know, and then you just, it put that time into your other friendships and, and your own health and your own projects. And I think, cause we're both obviously quite into our own thing and our careers are quite something that we love to invest a lot of time and energy and, and focus on because we're both really passionate about what we do so obviously it, it's just worked out well for us yeah okay let's jump to talking about money mindset in the creative arts I'm so curious I have such a relationship with money so please just enlighten us all the things oh my god it is my absolute pleasure I love talking <laughs> about this because this is what I learned I was somebody who had the worst, most avoidant, most disorganized, unhealthy and self-sabotaging relationship with money. And, you know, have just was just like always broke, always scraping by, always just being really resourceful, like leveraging other people's resources so that I could live the life that I wanted um, in terms of like hitchhiking or like borrowing things or just like never paying for things whenever whenever I could create that opportunity for myself and was really good at that and I feel like a lot of artists and creatives are just really resourceful and money is just a neutral 
resource, like it's a tool. It's something that we made up. It's like, it's not like food. I need to find a better analogy. Like it's like food in the way that we need it to survive. But it's kind of like houses. Like we invented houses because they serve and support us, but like we don't need to live in houses. Like we could live, you know, under a shelter in the forest if we wanted to. It's like, it's just something that humans developed to make our life easier and to make it more convenient. And there's so much negative baggage around the concept of money that we have created an internal resistance to it because what money has been represented as for us in our culture a lot of the time is just like greedy people people who have power who don't care about the things that like we as creatives value so money is separate from us like money is like the enemy or like if people if we want to do things for money we have to do things that aren't aligned with our values or we have to make sacrifices or blah 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 so like just pages and pages of endless reasons why money is bad money creates stress and you know every different family has their own money baggage every different cultural community um has their own money baggage but we all have it and it's really up to us to kind of like work it out of our unconscious work it out of our mindset work it out of our emotional systems so that when our body and our psyche isn't resisting money because you know as soon as i started to do that work and also because it, there are so so many high stakes with money too, right? It's like either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, like very real life threatening things can happen. So there is a lot of fear and there is a lot of tension associated in our relationship with money. So it is just one of those relationships where a lot of our triggers and a lot of our like emotional baggage, inherited ancestral wounding, resistance and unsupportive patterns show up. So I think of money as like one of our greatest teachers because wherever we don't feel good about it, it's like being in a toxic relationship, right? You need to look at it. You need to be having a conversation about it. You need to be looking at what do I believe? Like, what am I bringing to the table in this relationship? What? Where am I not holding up my boundaries? Where am I not asking for what I want? Where am I not taking care of what is being given to me? And really taking radical responsibility in that relationship, which means spending time with it, which means looking at it, which means getting into the details of it and really taking responsibility for the way that we are creating, interacting with, like asking for, generating, spending, keeping, investing, all of the different areas um, of money because like health or like our bodies, if we're not taking care of it, it will impact our life in a negative way. It will contribute to stress. It will affect our relationships. It will affect the level of freedom that we have. And so money mindset is really just starting from a positive place and like I always then this was the journey for me and this is what I always talk to my clients around is like yes there can be so much tension that we that we're just carrying as a pattern that we've inherited most likely from our parents and from our family and from our culture around money that is just unconscious and it can be really triggering and if we've not been good with money in the past then there's, you know, a lot of real like stress and trauma around money that we carry with us. So it can feel hard to go from that to like feeling really good and free and like easeful in our relationship with money. So if we can just make it the goal to get neutral about it, like if you have to have a conversation, if you have to ask for money or send out an invoice, you have to negotiate a fee, you, you know, have to like take care of your, some banking, just noticing how these, um, these uh, spaces start to trigger you 
and just decide to take your power back from those conversations and be like, if, okay, at least I'll be present with how I'm feeling right now. And I'm still going to make an empowered choice from the perspective that I can be good with money. I can have more money than I think. And it can be easier than I've been making it in the past. And just to choose to shift back to a place of neutrality and to start to make decisions and choices from a more inspiring perspective, one where you believe that you are worthy of having all the money that you desire to have all of your needs met. You can fund every single one of your big, beautiful, creative dreams, ambitions. It is possible for you and you can do it without having to sacrifice your values and you can do it. You can bring everyone else along for the ride with you. You can pay the people that you want to help you, what they deserve to be paid. Like all of this is possible. It's just maybe in a paradigm that you've never experienced before. So it's really just being willing to step into that possibility and to have that vision and then be like, cool, who do I have to be in order to create that? And to really give ourselves permission to create it in a way that's in alignment with who we are, what it is that we value, you know, the level, the quality of life that we want to be living in the way that we want to be living it. It's all possible if we just give ourselves permission to go there instead of being stuck in the limit stories of limitation and the, the excuses. Yeah, 100%. So if that's step one, then how do you make the transition to then say like asking for funds? So it's exact same concept as any other type of goal setting. If you just focus on what it is that you want and you keep taking action towards that goal, it's inevitable that you'll create it. Like the only way you can fail is if you stop trying. So it's really important to get, number one, get specific as to the number, like how much money do you want and why? Like everything that we desire in our life has a dollar amount on it. So know what that is, right? Like get really clear, like what is the next level for you of financial freedom in terms of all of the, you know, the visions that you desire for your life in every single area of your life? How much does it cost? How much money would you need to have to be able to live out that vision? Get really clear on what that number is, like what that number of income is for you to make sure that you have a secure future to make sure that your quality of life is the way that you want it to be. Um, and you have money for all of your desires. Like, first of all, just giving yourself permission to want what you want and then to actually start figuring out how much it would require for you to be able to experience that. So get clear on that dollar amount and then look at it every day. And even if you're like, I have no freaking idea how I'm going to make this much money that's when all of the limiting beliefs are going to start to come up. Like, oh, well, I will have to give up doing these things that I love or I'll have to sacrifice or I'll have to like not be who I am or blah, 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 blah. Like all of the, the limiting bullshit will come to the surface. And that's when you get to start questioning that and sorting through that and being like, okay, cool. What if this wasn't true? What if there was another way? And really starting to pivot your belief and really expand your perception of what you believe is possible for you and a lot of that is worthiness and deservingness, you know, because for a lot of creatives, you know, I always experienced throughout my upbringing, like, oh, don't do the things, don't do the creative things that you love because you won't be safe, because you won't get a proper job, because blah, 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 opportunities, blah, 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 blah. So we internalize that as like, oh, what I desire is wrong. What I desire isn't important. What I desire isn't valuable. So it's really about undoing all of that and rewriting the script on that so 
you can actually start. And once you do, once you flip those perspectives, you realize that it's all bullshit. Like there's artists are some of the wealthiest people on the planet. There's so many people making so much money doing exactly what they want as a creative. And there's really no reason why, you know, I really do believe that when you desire something, you're meant to live that out in your life. And one thing that I've really discovered is the more I take action on the things that I truly desire versus the things I think I should be doing, it actually works out way more magically and way more easily than trying to push through any of the things that I think are safe or are more likely to work. Mm, Yeah. Do you suggest for people just starting out to like make shifts first or like jump into the deep end and learn how to swim? Like, where's that balance? That's a really good question. I think, I think always lead with action. Always. Both. Always be doing both. Like always be doing the mindset work. I do it every day. And that's why I've created continuous, consistent growth. Um, And always be taking action. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes the action is to not take action Hmm. and to listen or to wait. But so it's really about listening. It's really about listening and, and to just trust yourself and to know when something feels like the right thing for you and to know when it doesn't. And also it's okay to fail forward. And, and a lot of the time action comes, action always, clarity always comes through taking action. So being willing to fail, being willing to try, because I don't really believe there's any such thing as a failure because we learn so much by trying, right? And it's all just gathering data. So I would say always be doing the mindset work, always be jumping into your feet first as much as you have the nerve to and and building your self-trust that way. Because the more you follow through on your hunches and then it works, the more fun it gets and the easier it gets for you to trust that when you, you know, when you get an idea and you follow through that it will work and then you get to take it bigger and bigger and bigger each time. Yeah, I love that. Um, Okay, so can we jump to chatting about your music and video projects? Yeah, so I right now I'm kind of learning how to produce my own beats because I've been writing song lyrics for a while. I started off writing, I started off writing a lot of poetry, then that turned into writing song lyrics for other artists. And then I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this like songwriting adventure. And I wanted to keep that for myself, but I didn't really have any musical training other than musical theater when I was younger. So I was doing a lot of rap and then I was kind of just trying to figure out how to find a producer or like create music to to rap to. And then I was like, okay, I just have to take a plunge and do this and learn how to make my own beat. So that's kind of what I've been focused on in the past year. And I, I just started getting into performing again, like before the pandemic. And yeah, so since the pandemic, I've just been really focused on learning how to make my own beats. I'm working on a new song at the moment. And I've been, so my background obviously was in film and I, I made like some experimental dance videos. I was, I'm really into experimental um, cinema. And then after my master's, I just kind of like went on a film detox for a while because I'd been watching films nonstop for three years. And then when I went into to India, I did an, a 10 David Passaner 
silent meditation retreat where you just meditate for 10 hours a day. And like the single message that came out of that was to explore hip hop. And I was like, huh, this is weird because I don't see myself as fitting into that genre whatsoever. And, but it also kind of made sense in a weird way in that it was like all of my passions for like poetry, you know, short film, um, dance, because my I'm a dancer. That's like the main thing that I am, <laughs> that I consider myself, I've done the most of throughout my life that I have the most passion for. And then like the poetry and then the rap and and it just would never go away. And then I just really have this pull to, for, for songwriting. And so it was, you know, I had a lot of imposter syndrome around it at the beginning because I was like, I have zero musical training apart from like grade one violin when I was 10 or something. And so I felt like I didn't really have any tools or skills. And um, so I was just like, well, this, this seems ridiculous, but it just wouldn't go away. And it just, it kept coming up in meditations. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm just going to keep pursuing this. And then I, yeah, now that I'm into um, Ableton Live and, and have built up a pretty basic toolkit. I'm at, discovering I'm actually able to do so much with very little and I'm having so much fun with it. So um, I shot some footage for a video for this song that I'm working on, which I haven't finished yet. So I'm kind of like working on the video in tandem with the song um, and just really having fun with it and yeah, not seeing where it will go. I started writing um, affirmation raps because Ooh. I feel like just, I love talking about money and I feel like that's also a thing that just kind of like goes, like it just seems like there's, yeah, it's all very aligned. Like there's a lot of things that are just kind of lining up. And so I started, I made an affirmation rap that I posted on my Instagram and like my clients and everybody were just like loved it. And I was like, okay, there's definitely like, I just want to bring my superpowers for mindset coaching and like positive brainwashing as my clients call it. And like bringing that to, together with some songwriting skills and, and creating something like uplifting and, and inspiring that people love to dance to. I think that's the direction that I'm going in. I love that. What's, <laughs> um, what, what type of dance do you do? So I was in, originally trained in like classical ballet, modern tap for most of my childhood. And then I, yeah, and like contemporary. And then I got into hip hop. And then I got really, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> then I got really into the rave scene in the oh, UK. Nice. And that was pretty much my dance addiction for like more than a decade. Um, and then, and then I got to Montreal and that's another thing I love about Montreal was just like the insane scope of the different dance styles there. And I was just literally taking like every single type of dance under the sun I had never tried before and like Afro salsa and, and, and then my partner and I started getting into tango. So I just, I love all different types of dancing, but I would say the most, um, Recently, the thing that I have done with the most consistency is hula hoop dancing. Ooh, oh my God, I love hula hooping. Yeah. That's, That's just so like fun. the way I like decompress and take breaks from work. And I, tra I have a little travel hoop. It's the perfect um, activity for the beach. So that is amazing. <laughs> Side note, I would love to collaborate with you. <laughs> Let's do it. I would love that. 
Um, just for you, for time, is there anything else I didn't ask before we jump to final five, um, that you want to share? No, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay. So, uh, final five speed round question one, what's the most interesting film you've crewed for? I think it was Sherlock Holmes. I like got Richie that was shot in London and like the old you know, like the old ports and things. And then they transformed it to look like it was, you know, a hundred years old or something. That was pretty cool. That sounds amazing. Uh, question two, what's something you will never do again? Um, I don't think I'll ever get drunk again. Oh, interesting. It just doesn't vibe with me anymore. Like I just don't, I went through a phase of not being able to get drunk. So I just completely stopped drinking and I really hate not feeling good because I've worked so hard to get my energy back. So I don't think I'll ever drink more than like a glass or two of wine ever again. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually the same way. I'm totally sober and I'm, I'm just, I don't have an interest in drinking anymore. Yeah. Same. Question three, what's your favorite song you've written so far or video you've created so far or both? <laughs> I think the, the, my favorite song I've written is a song called The Immigrants Are Hardest that was written like during the peak of my frustration with being an immigrant, but also really reflecting on how it's like so much worse for so many other people and just the frustration with with politics and, you know, the narratives around anti-immigration that are just absolute total bullshit and how immigrants are actually like the most hardworking, like opportunity taking people in like probably pretty much every country. So that song inspired that. I really like that song. Nice. All right, side note, are you, um, is your stuff like on iTunes and Spotify, stuff like that? No, it's not. <laughs> that's, okay. like, that, that, that's the only thing I have. It's on my YouTube channel. If you Google The Immigrants Are Hardest by Sarah Mack, that's literally all I have online. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Um, question four, what's one step you'd advise for somebody experiencing burnout? To rest. It's so simple. And it's like, this was, this was the one that somebody told me. It was like, rest when you're tired, like stop waiting. And sometimes it feels like there'll never be enough time when you're burnt out, but you have to start resting. You And an active rest too, like yoga, meditation, going for walks, like hot baths, the things that really help you to like switch off and wind down. Yeah. All right, last question. Do you have a morning and or evening self-care routine? Yeah, every morning I start with meditation, then I work out. I'll either do the class, which is amazing, or I'll do yoga. And then I'll always do, listen to some type of mindset um, recording, either something I'm doing with a, a coach or a mentor or something online that's inspiring. Nice. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun to chat with you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.